So the reading is taken from John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Graham Pringle. I'm an associate minister here. And today is Passion Sunday. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus on the way to the cross, we pray that you'll be with us this morning. Please speak to us, draw close to us, in Jesus' name, amen. So today is Passion Sunday. It marks, in some Christian traditions, the beginning of a two-week period prior to Easter. The whole of this two-week period is called Passion Tide. And it comes from a Latin word which means suffering because it focuses on the sufferings of Jesus before his death. When we think about the suffering of Jesus, we often think about um, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, his agonizing time there, his arrest, um, his trial before Pilate and Herod, um, how he was whipped and and the crucifixion. All of that took place in the 24 hours before his death. But as we shall see, Jesus' suffering began much earlier than this, and that's why churches think about his suffering for this two-week period. Because Jesus knew what was coming ahead. People had warned him that if he went to Jerusalem, uh, he'd be arrested and killed but he was determined to go there nevertheless, determined to see it through. And so his suffering, his passion began uh, before he got to Jerusalem. The Bible passage that uh, we've just heard this morning is one that will be read in many churches throughout the world today on this Passion Sunday. It's quite a curious story. Um, it's not a passage I've preached on before, um, it's a story that um, is full of tension and emotion. In some ways, the story reminds me of the sort of the penultimate episode of a TV series. We know that when you get to the final episode of a TV series, then that's when the real uh, crisis happens and, um, and everything hopefully gets resolved. But the episode before is what prepares us for that. 
And often in the penultimate episode, um, everything starts falling to bits and uh, tensions are exposed and people fall out with each other and you're wondering how's all this going to end um, as it sets the scene um, for the final episode. Well, I think the passage that we've heard today has got those sorts of feelings about it. And we're just going to go through that, uh, that Bible passage a verse at a time. So we're going to start at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There's an awful lot of information packed into that one verse, which sets the scene for what's going to happen. So first of all, look, let's look at the timing, six days before Passover. Passover happens each year, and we know that it was at this Passover that's just about to come. That's when Jesus spent his last uh, meal with his friends, the Last Supper, just before he was crucified. So this story takes place six days before the Last Supper. Um, Jesus came to Bethany. As I mentioned, he was on a journey to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be crucified. Uh, his, uh, he kept telling his disciples that he was going to die, but they didn't quite uh, understand what he meant. Um, but he knew what lay ahead. And he's almost there. Bethany uh, is a town that's just two miles from Jerusalem. So he's almost got there. Uh, probably the next day we would have the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. So this is perhaps the night before that. Um, the word Bethany uh, means house of the poor, um, which was quite an interesting uh, uh, fact due to the, what we'll see, what, what unfolds in the story. And we see that Lazarus is there. Uh, and as John, in writing his gospel, points out, uh, this is the same Lazarus whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The fact that Lazarus was there would have added uh, some tension to the situation because Lazarus was somebody who uh, had provoked <coughs> um, great division uh, amongst people, had polarized people. Um, lots of Jesus' miracles had been controversial and the things they'd done had been controversial. You know, whether it be going through cornfields and eating um, corn on the Sabbath or whether it be healing a sick person uh, on the Sabbath day. Um, a lot of things that Jesus had done had, had attracted criticism. Um, but it was the raising of Lazarus from the dead uh, that had really uh, crystallized people's views about Jesus. Uh, for some, this was the thing that really did persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and we read in the subsequent verses that many people uh, were coming to Bethany to see Lazarus, to hear what happened, and many were putting their faith in Jesus. But equally, that fact that people were doing that had uh, caused the, his enemies to, uh, to be convinced that they had to get rid of Jesus. Um, and, and that's where the plots to kill Jesus really began to accelerate. And, and as well as wanting to kill Jesus, uh, we read in this, the following verses that uh, people had also decided they had to get rid of Lazarus as well. Um, so <coughs> uh, both Jesus and Lazarus were targeted men. And so 
this sort of polarization of people um, was, was evident that evening as they met and, uh, and Lazarus was there. Lazarus also had two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And we've come across them before. Um, we, they're mentioned in the passage where we see Lazarus uh, being raised from the dead. Um, but Luke also describes another occasion uh, where Jesus met with Mary and Martha. It's <clears throat> uh, a passage I know many of you are familiar with, but I just, just want to read uh, just these few verses to, just, to remind you what happened on this previous occasion. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha owned her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted <clears throat> by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, <clears throat> the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So there is some history between Mary and Martha, and um, some tension in the past, and as we read verse 2, here a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at table with him. So nothing's really changed. Martha is still the one serving and Mary is not. And I can just imagine the tension between the two of them the unspoken looks that Martha is giving to Mary. It's so unfair, she's thinking. She's doing it again. I'm the one serving and she's just sitting there. She wants to protest, but this time she says nothing. Because the last time, as we heard, Jesus ended up defending Mary and not her. She doesn't want to be put in that position again. So she serves, perhaps in silence. And then Mary does it. Something so outrageous, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Verse 3. Then Mary took a, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. <clears throat> now it's hard for us here today to appreciate just how shocking this would have been. First of all, there was the huge waste. Nard was, uh, an, was a, a, an, uh, an amber-colored essential oil that's extracted from a flower that comes from the Himalayas in Nepal, China, and India. So it is hugely expensive. It was often stored in an alabaster case to preserve its fragrance. A very expensive perfume. You can still buy it today. 
It comes in very small bottles, 10 milliliters, costs about 14 pounds. So a pint of it will probably set you back towards a thousand pounds. In those days, it was even more expensive than that. Now, if I was to take a bottle of really expensive perfume and take it and pour it on someone's feet, what would you think? A pint is a huge quantity of perfume. She didn't just dab it on Jesus' feet. She poured the whole thing on his feet. What a terrible waste, you might think. But that wasn't the most shocking thing that Mary did. What she did next was much worse. She let down her hair, something that a reputable person would never have done in public. And she wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Imagine the reaction in the room, the embarrassed silence. Imagine what Martha is thinking at this spectacle. It was bad enough the last time where she just sat at Jesus' feet and looked at him adoringly. Now she's wiping her hair on his feet. Her behavior is inexcusable. But it's not Martha who says anything. Verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him, objected. Judas said what everyone else was thinking. In the Gospel passage, John kindly reminds us that this Judas Iscariot is the one who would later betray Jesus. But at the time, no one knew that. In fact, no one would have guessed that Judas was capable of such a thing. If you fast forward six days to the Last Supper, Jesus announces that one of the people in this room is going to betray him. And at that point, people, the disciples didn't all turn to Judas and say, I thought so. They looked at each other and said, who is it? Let's just read those verses. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus was troubled in spirit <clears throat> and testified very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to, that, to his disciples and said, ask him which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? But back to our story. None of them knew what Judas would later do. Judas simply says, 
what others are thinking. He could have said, Mary, stop behaving like a prostitute. But perhaps he was too embarrassed to say that. Instead, he says, next verse, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. You see, Judas was the treasurer of the group of disciples. All of the disciples had given up good jobs in order to follow Jesus. Andrew, Peter, James and John had been fishermen. Matthew had been a tax collector. Others had good jobs too. But none of them had been working for the past three years. Following Jesus had taken up all of their time. So Jesus and his disciples relied on the handouts from others. But they also gave some of the money they received, they gave it to the poor. And Judas was the keeper of the common purse. And he felt that this gave him some authority here to criticize Mary for this hugely wasteful gesture. It's interesting that John also thinks that Judas had a more selfish motive. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used, to, used it to help himself to what was put in it. I guess John came to this view after Judas had betrayed Jesus. Um, there's nothing to suggest that people thought that at the time. Well, whatever his motive, it's Judas who criticizes Mary. And it's Jesus who leaps to her defense. Verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I wonder what Jesus made of all of this. He's heading to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be executed in a few days' time. But his suffering, his passion, has already begun. He's invested everything into this small group of disciples who are here with him. He's trusting them to continue the work that he has begun because he's no longer going to be around to do it himself. And it must have broken his heart to see them squabbling and divided. This tension amongst his own disciples. And it's that, as say, like the penultimate episode of a series, is setting the backdrop for what will soon happen. What Jesus will say six days later at the Last Supper, where he says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I love you. I guess it breaks Jesus' heart to see his church divided today as Christians squabble with each other instead of loving each other. 
But what do we make of the story itself? Who do you most easily identify with? Is it Jesus? Sorry, is it Judas? Judas, the clear-headed one, but judgmental. Convinced that Mary's behavior was totally unacceptable at many different levels. Convinced that someone had to tell her that she, what she was done was wrong. He wasn't going to stand by in silence. He will tell her exactly what everyone thought of her. Would you identify more with Martha? who in her heart is equally critical of Mary, but decides not to speak out. She keeps her views to herself, but she knows what she's really thinking. Or is it like Mary, who's extravagant in her love for Jesus? She knows that her actions will be misunderstood but she doesn't worry about her own reputation. She just wants to give Jesus everything that she's got. The whole pint poured on his feet. Jesus had previously said that the first commandment was to love God with all of your heart and soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. And what we see here, what Mary did, is the perfect illustration of what that kind of love can look like. We might not all have a pint of nard at our disposal. We might not be the sort of people who expresses our love in that particular way. But how much do you love Jesus? And in what ways do you demonstrate that love for him? Amen. Let's stand. <clears throat>